Hey everybody, welcome back to the Carbide Podcast. If this is your first time, I appreciate the consideration. If you're a returning listener, thanks so much for joining me once again. I'm super stoked on today's interview. I've known Kyle for a long time, and it's been really cool to watch him quietly and humbly become one of the more successful factory mechanics in the pro pits. Some of the stories and bits of information that he shared are exactly the kind of stuff this podcast was made for, so I encourage you to listen all the way through so you don't miss anything. We did run into some cell issues about 20 minutes in, but we remedied that quickly. With that said, please enjoy my interview with Mr. Kyle Sackett. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast. This is episode two. My name is Spencer Delabriere, and I'm your host. On today's episode, I have an East Coast snowmobile racing veteran. I have a power sports performance shop owner and race team owner. I have a championship-winning National Snowcross factory mechanic. And if you can believe this, it's all the same guy. Mr. Kyle Sackett, how you doing, Kyle? I'm doing good, Spencer. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. If it wasn't so damn hot, I'd be, you know, doing a little bit better, but it's just making me dream of snowmobiling, so that's okay. Hey, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, we, we could take a little of the heat out here on the East Coast. It seems like... Uh, it's been raining for the last month straight, so we will take a little of it off your hands. <laughs> oh man, I'll I'll get that squared away. We'll we'll get that sent over ASAP. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's kind of get started with uh, some of your early years. You have quite a diverse background in in power sports. A lot of different a lot of different vehicles, a lot of different segments, things like that. But what was kind of your the first toy you had, the first vehicle in your life that really got you got you hooked on power sports? So the first. The first vehicle, power sports vehicle I ever had, and I think a lot of people started here, was the a kitty cat. You know, the mm-hmm. little wedge nose, mm-hmm. little wedge nose micro sled. And this one was in rough shape, but it and it didn't have Articat stickers on it. It was just kind of rattle can black, but it had a vibrant yellow skidoo sticker on the on the tunnel, <laughs> and. Um, for whatever reason that that just popped and it it stuck in my head and I've kind of been a skidoo guy ever since but um yeah my my dad got that for me and I've I've been hooked on power sports stuff and learning how it works and riding ever since it still blows my mind I go to a lot of the the vintage shows here in Minnesota it blows my mind how much those kitty cats are still worth these days oh yeah it's like a cult following they should come mm-hmm. back out with that not change a single thing just come out with it oh I, I would i would love to see that for sure uh so when you get started riding on the kitty cat was it really just were you just enjoying the riding or did you kind of feel inquisitive immediately on how it worked and functionality and how you could make it faster and things like that so not really performance of it i guess um I love to ride it. I'd ride it. Um, my dad would snowblow little paths because it really couldn't go in powder at all. And I would just ride around the house until it ran out of gas, go back in, have him fill it and repeat, repeat, repeat. But it was just little things like, you know, I'd be squeezing the throttle and looking at the cable and trying to follow it to where it went. And, you know, as soon as it got to the carburetor, it was way over my pay grade at that time but it was just kind of little stuff like that like oh okay i squeeze this and it goes there or you know same with the brakes just little stuff like that and it all just kind of snowballed 
Hmm. That's awesome. Did you kind of get started racing quickly after that? Or were you just kind of trail riding with the family? So I was, my dad had some just kind of beater, like ice fishing sleds around the house. Um, And we'd go out on the trails every once in a while. Uh, Usually they weren't reliable enough as soon. The joke was always as soon as it got out of sight of the house, it would break down. But um, we would just kind of trail ride or borrow sleds or go with somebody, but it was nothing serious. And racing didn't come until years later. I was actually very, very timid for a long time. Interesting. Yeah, I from when I first met you, uh, it was it was racing snowcross. So it was always interesting to see there's a handful of us, myself included, that kind of got into it a little bit later and were a little more skeptical despite how fast we were on the trails or how much we we knew sleds and how to ride. Racing was just a different animal altogether. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was always one of my problems was when I was racing and it, it still is on, uh, on dirt bikes, but a little less, um, I think way too much. So it's always, you know, Oh, if I overshoot this, it's going to be terrible. If I undershoot it, you know, this could happen. Whereas I should just not think, but react and just hit it. But I, I could never shut that off. Yeah. And it, it doesn't help now that we're older and we know we have to go to work on Monday morning. Right. Exactly, exactly. And I'm reminded uh, every other step I take with an ankle full of hardware that uh, it can definitely bite you. <laughs> so once you got started racing sleds, was it just kind of for the enjoyment or were you kind of actively pursuing some kind of career or what was your thought process when you started racing? So when I got started in racing, um, it it was... I don't know. I just immediately I liked everything about it. Um, I had planned for this. The one local race that I knew was coming, I planned for it for months. You would have thought I was organizing a team, but it was literally just me out of the bed of a pickup truck. Um, But I had all my ducks in a row. It was like all I talked about, all I first thing I'd look up on the computer after school. And, um, uh, I didn't even do that good, but I just had so much fun with the whole process um, that it it instantly I knew that it was something I wanted to be involved with in one way or another for years to come and still still doing it. Yeah, that sounds like that kind of set the stage for both how much you enjoyed racing and everything associated with it, but also how much you enjoyed kind of the planning side of it like getting getting parts getting things prepped all this kind of stuff you kind of just set yourself up to be a team owner in the future didn't you yeah yeah i did i guess i did without without meaning to or realizing it but it's definitely uh some old habits die hard i guess so i guess that's why i keep doing it oh it's 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 tough to it's tough to get away no matter what even even as we get older they it keeps pulling us back in absolutely and it's not like i mean with uh with what we're doing um you know for my little team with with j day and the p twenty seven off roads and just any other like netro races we're uh 
there's nothing crazy sponsorship wise. You know, I don't, I don't have a semi we're showing up in and I'm not paying all these guys a salary every year, but it's for what we're doing. We look, um, pretty professional, you know, all matching bikes, matching gear. Um, we can at least play the role and I just, I don't really get anything out of it other than aggravation usually. Um, whether it be my laptop dying in the middle of, you know, trying to update the website or rushing from work to my shop to grab some parts to rush them to somebody's house before a race or helping, you know, get a bike fixed up or what have you. But I, I just love doing it. For uh, anybody that's not currently, I highly encourage you to go follow LBR Moto on the social channels. Kyle's team puts together a, a really nice effort, and it's really cool to follow those guys uh, in the summertime. So, highly recommend following them. Kind of going. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. So, kind of going through a little bit more of your timeline and your your snow racing. I read that at one point in time you did make it to the semi-pro level racing cross country on the East Coast, which was pretty cool. I feel like a lot of us. We just like snowmobiles. We'll race whatever, you know, we just kind of enjoy it for what it is. But at that point in time, were you leaning more towards cross country and seeing some more success there? Or were you kind of floating between that and snowcross? Where were you at with that? So there was definitely kind of floating around. Um, I had, it was a tail end of my snowmobile racing career. I was racing sport, snow cross, um, did qualify for a few nationals, um, finished mid pack, nothing to write home about. Uh, I won a few East coast races, never was able to get a championship. Just, I would get hurt or couldn't string it together. But then I started racing dirt bikes and a few of my buddies did the J day off-road series. And for anyone not familiar, it's kind of like a GNCC, um, like a enduro mixed with motocross and like some hard enduro skitter tires, you know, that kind of obstacles all mixed in. And I just love the challenge of that, that even if you weren't battling for the win, you were always kind of battling the track, if you will, and yourself just to just to finish a lot of them the way the tracks are set up or, you know, if it's a mutter or extremely hot is a feat in itself. So I love that. And then I had met um, Eric who ran the USCC East series and we kind of hit it off and he invited me, Hey, why don't you try out um, cross country this year or at least come check a few out. And I was having so much fun doing that style race on my dirt bike that I figured I would kind of jump into it with a sled and um, I never really killed it. And I had a, the learning curve was insane. Um, I remember Kenny Murphy, who used to be a pro snowcross guy when I was in like juniors. Um, I met up with him at the first race and he was telling me, he's like, dude, any of the holes, like you thought you saw some big holes on a snowcross track there. This track today is going to be deeper than anything you've ever hit. 
And I didn't know if I totally believed him until I got out there. And I thought I was in shape. I was not. I thought the sled was set up. It was not. It was such a learning curve, but a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel very similar because I've been racing hair scrambles here in Minnesota the last couple of years. And I feel very similar to it about it as you do. I really I am slow as molasses. Don't don't get it twisted. But I love challenging myself on the track and I love the fitness aspect of it, that if I'm in really good shape, I'll be slow on a bike, but I can finish and maybe somebody else can't. And that yep. has 100 percent reignited my want to get back on a sled and race cross country but i'm also like i don't know man it cost me 50 bucks to go race a, a hair scramble it'll cost me like 400 dollars to go race a cross country race and that's even if the setup is is good you know oh the the price difference that was one thing when i when i switched to dirt bikes was like wow this is way cheaper and I can do it out of the back of a pickup truck and not get hypothermia, you know? <laughs> oh, that's that's the internal struggle for all of us. We all we all love sleds, but we might not not necessarily like the cold weather, but it's <laughs> it's a fight we have to fight. Yep, exactly. So, we will get into your your snowcross mechanic career cuz after all this is a snowmobile podcast, but we've talked quite a bit about off-road and I would be remiss if we didn't kind of zone in on some of your your off-road mechanicing experience so one that i'm definitely aware of because i'm assuming the relationship came from snowcross was when you worked with travis moore at uh for nea tv in 2013 i know going into that year he was without a ride and you guys had met and kind of put together a, a program when you were still known as wide open racing but Kind of what was that experience like? I don't know how much you had had with, with quads and things like that, but how did that come about and what was that experience like? That was one of the craziest, most emotional, and hands down the most expensive summers of my life. Um, I had basically zero experience with quads, or certainly race quads, mm. and I had actually met Travis in aurora minnesota up at a shearings place i was out there for to race duluth myself me and mm -hmm. a buddy drove out in a volkswagen gti and my sled went with Southside polaris who travis was racing for and i had never met him before but here's this guy with a thick southern drawl that was really fast in like the technical stuff so like a straight rhythm section and then it was corners any corner he couldn't figure it out and uh he went skidding by me upside down the sled on its hood across the asphalt at shearings and uh he, he got up i don't even remember what he said um I don't know some some Travis Moore crazy saying. If you know him, you you mm -hmm. can probably hear it right now. But he he said it and took off. And I was thinking, like, who is this guy? And uh, just went over and introduced myself, and we instantly hit it off. And it started out as a joke. Why don't we start up a, a quad racing thing? Um, and I actually ended up getting hurt 
a couple days later at Duluth, I dislocated my jaw. And then the next or two races later on the East Coast, I ended up, I like bit my tongue in half or the last, I bit like an inch of my tongue off. And uh, pretty much that put a damper damper on uh, my enthusiasm for continuing my snowcross career. Um, I really wasn't killing it and I was just getting hurt a bunch. But so the joke kind of became more of a real, hey, let's put a team together. I'll buy a couple of race quads. Um, I, you know, I had some money set aside from, from sponsors and some winnings and stuff that I, I invested in my own snowcross program. So I sold off. Sorry, everybody. We had a slight technical glitch there, but Kyle, you were saying how you were selling off a lot of your snowcross assets and things like that to kind of go a little bit deeper in and, and helping Travis. Yeah, I, I was, um, long story short, sold off, um, race sled and practice sled and a bunch of parts and um was working with we ended up buying two can-am ds 450s um so i was lucky enough to still be working with a bunch of the same people from brp or they could at least put me in contact with the different racing department and um we dove headfirst into the quad racing world with about only two months to prepare Ugh, that's uh, a pretty pretty ambitious program but i mean you guys got it done you you won the, the pro championship that year for any atv and you snuck by by two points you won that title it was the last race was the the whole summer was crazy we we showed up um i mean a bunch of people had not full semis, but like, you know, 48 foot triaxle gooseneck. And I mean, tons of money into their quads. And ours were, one was a hand-me-down um, from Joel Hetrick. It was the one he raced the year before. And I, I want to say he's the current reigning champion, or he's got a bunch of champion, championships nationally. Mm -hmm. So we got one from him. And then the other one came from John Natale, mm -hmm. and that one went to uh, Travis's place in Tennessee for him to practice on. And I think like the first four races in a row, we won every moto we lined up to. And like my my truck leaked oil. I had a black trailer, so like you could see the oil spots on it. Um, it was just a such a low budget thing the the quad looked great the first race and then you could kind of see it get more and more beaten up um and then that last race he he and Preston Young battled tooth and nail to the final corner and Travis was in second into that final corner and he said that he hit this tabletop it was a tabletop, a bull corner, and then an uphill drag to the finish line. He came into that corner. He said usually, like, uh, I think he wanted to say the top a third or, like, third gear mid-throttle or something like that. And he said for this last lap, he hit it fourth gear wide open. And he just slingshot around the outside. 
and they went out of sight into that corner. You couldn't see them, so nobody knew what happened. And then Travis came over the top by like half a quad length. It was insane. Oh man, that's 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 the stuff that dreams are made of, right? Like you you couldn't script that stuff any better than that. Exactly. And we I had put I was like poor poor by the end of that year. Um KM had stepped up huge and like they gave us um I don't know what the parts allotment was um a couple grand or something let's just mm-hmm. say for sake of argument for uh at the beginning of the season and then like we just kept doing better and better and producing results and but you know you break stuff and they just never capped us. They just kept like helping us out, which was huge because we would not have been able to do it. And like, I'd I'd pull all nighters trying to get get the wheeler fixed up for the next race. But I'm trying to work my regular job as a diesel mechanic, you know, to keep like pay rent and pay for fuel to get to the race. It was a grind for sure, but it was the memories were awesome and and for it to pay off like that was insane yeah it must have been a a wild experience for you for sure it was crazy so after that year you you only did that for for a year but after that you kind of leaned a little bit more heavily into the performance side in power sports i know you're kind of operating lbr moto a little bit at this point in time but you did some more stuff with with performance both on on bikes and sleds and things like that but at that point in time, were you kind of leading more towards specialty suspension, specialty motors? What was kind of your, what was your, your go-to thing at that point in time? Uh, my thing's kind of always been suspension. Um, I mean, I'll do, you know, a, a ton of bolt-on stuff for motors and, and a little bit of mild porting on some of my own projects and, you know, get a head decked here and there and that kind of thing. But I never really got too, too crazy with it just because I was always, all of my stuff was a a stock class or, um, you know, being built for someone that was in a class that was stock or improved or, you know, nothing crazy. But suspension was always something that was kind of open or at least the amount you could gain by tuning a shock and getting it set up for yourself was insane. So pound for pound, I've always put my money into my suspension over my motor. And, um, it's always, always just been the route that I've gone. Nice. Nice. I like to hear that at that point in time was the goal. Cause you're still doing off-road stuff. You're kind of delving more into off-road stuff at that point in time, but you know, it sounds like the heart was kind of always in snow a little bit. Did you, was the goal to kind of get into the mechanic side in snow or at that point in time, did you just enjoy wrenching on whatever power sports vehicle you could get your hands on? It was, it was kind of whatever. Um, just, just loved racing and, and always have one of my, my friends, um, jokes around that if, somebody figured out a way to race couches or like lawnmower racing or any literally race anything I'd be into it. And he's really not wrong. 
Um, I just, I don't know. I just enjoy the competitiveness in it and the amount of effort it takes both in and out of the shop behind the scenes, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you mentioned that you're a suspension guy and that if you raced couches, you'd be super stoked. Do you adjust the preload and the spring rate on your couch at home or do you leave that stock? Uh, usually stock. Oh, we, okay. We try to get pretty nice stuff. So, you know, it's kind of set up. Fair, fair. <laughs> uh, so I remember at one point in time you started, you moved down South a little bit, um, and kind of worked for a, for a dealership down there and, and got some experience there, but you kind of went a little bit deeper into the off-road space. I remember seeing that you did some work with, with factory beta in GNCC. Like what was the, what was that experience like? That must've been wild. So yeah, the, that whole thing was a lot of fun. It was, uh, let's see, how did this go? The summer after, um, racing quads with Travis, I was racing dirt bikes myself. Um, I had kind of taken a step back from sleds just because it's so expensive to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the quad racing we just did was insanely expensive uh, just because of the level we were doing it at and the lack of time we gave ourselves to prepare um, to, to put a program like that in together in two months is not enough time, but so, but we got it done anyway, the, I was kind of focusing on myself, just having fun racing my bike out of my truck you know, kind of a grassroots thing. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, that's when I uh, decided I wasn't going to all the way jump a step up and I shattered my left ankle and heel and put myself in the hospital for a week and then put myself on the couch for three months. Well, I'm kind of a go, go, go person. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't sit around a lot. I don't, I'll relax every now and again, but it's, you're not going to catch me with my feet up on a boat or by the lake very often. And so sitting in my apartment drove me crazy, but I started to email and, and call people and most of it just out of boredom. And I ended up getting hooked up with the uh, Zach Huberty, who was the race team manager for Beta GNCC, um, Chuck Shirley, who owns Privateer Connection in South Carolina, which is where I moved down and worked. And this will come into the story later, but also uh, Gary Coral, the owner of Boss Racing. Oh, yep, yep. And so that's kind of how all these pieces for present day started to fall into place. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's even from going through some of your, your short history, definitely networking is one of your better skills, Kyle. It's you, you meet the right guy at the right time and you definitely, definitely capitalize on it. Oh yeah, and it's insane how small the racing industry is, like the mm -hmm. power sports racing industry. Um, you meet a couple of people and then you'll be talking to so-and-so and they'll ask like, 
oh, you, you know, you're from out east. You must know uh, Lincoln or, you know, you guys must know this other mechanic. And it's like, oh, I'm really good friends with him. And mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's that was definitely pretty interesting to me when I when I started this podcast. At first, I was like, well, I wonder, like, who I could really have on. And then I was like, wait, I know this guy. I know this guy. I know this guy. And that's just the East Coast guys. Like it's exactly. Yeah. It's, it's so small and it's, it's really cool how you can just like, you know, call somebody up that you may have not talked to in years. And it's like, Oh yeah. What's going on, man. What you been up to, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. And then even like back when I was racing East coast, I raced. I mean, I don't know if I put up much of a fight, but I got passed by, we'll say, um, both Pat Node brothers, uh, Lincoln, I never raced against Corin. Um, mm. He was always, I think, a class right above me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was just cool, you know, like, oh, Jake Scott. Montana Jess was always younger than I was. Mm-hmm. But it was just cool, you know, being on the track with those guys even or just seeing them at the races and hanging out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's sports really small and the the friendships you make are definitely for for life for sure oh absolutely so kind of finishing up on the off-road side i know you still operate your team in lbr moto guys do gncc j-day off-road so that kind of just just going to keep that one going for for life it's kind of your your big passion in the summertime yeah i don't know about life anyway but um definitely for the foreseeable future um i guess that to track back a little i never answered your question really about beta um it it was an awesome experience and i never uh, i didn't do anything too involved with those guys um it was a great learning experience to see how all of it worked um and i fell in love with the gnc series gncc series instantly um just like it's one big family that just travels the country and races um and it it was great that they invited me to a few of them and i learned a ton with those guys um i learned a ton with chalk down at privateer connection he was a pro in his heyday um and then he taught me an insane amount and then he had the had some medical issues and had to close his shop while i was down there Hmm. so i ended up being a practice mechanic at club mx for um the markov brothers okay and they were ktm orange brigade and then that led to more hanging out with uh shane McElrath's mechanic and learning some of the stuff meeting Mike Haas, who owns um, Club MX. Mm-hmm. Um, t- he and I have talked about it a bunch after the fact, but bumping into Cody Cam down there. Yep, yep. Um, like we said, small world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, then, that, that's cool. Yep. I, did, I didn't know any of this, like this deeper moto stuff that you've done. This is, this is why I have a podcast. This is the stuff, Kyle. Right on, right on. Yeah, and it was only... I, I don't even think I lived down there for a year. It was, uh, I don't know, the better part of a summer. And 
did some kind of side work as a mechanic for um, Connor Worthen, who's from up here, from mm. the East Coast, from New York. And he was trying to qualify for Loretta's. So we raced at like Gatorback and uh, south of the border. Just mm-hmm. seeing all those places was really cool. And then the stuff you pick up, just the little tricks you pick up along the way, or a lot of the times in my case, the way not to do it, you know, that end up cooking a top end or breaking a tool or even just having a bad result. But either way, I feel like as long as you learn from it and nobody gets hurt, it it's all good. Yeah, it's 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 all experience and it's it's all pieces to the puzzle right exactly and it's all going towards what i'm doing now um which is why i I think i'm so drawn towards it it's such a challenge running my own team Mm -hmm. and i get to use all of the tools and things that i've learned over the years you know to from bike setup to just little tricks in the pits to scoping out lines for myself if i'm racing or pointing out to my guys as they're flying through the woods it's just a ton of fun so we'll wrap up the off-road stuff for any of the snow guys still listening i appreciate it i hope you're uh, actually enjoyed that stuff because it's a it's a really cool background that kyle has but kind of getting into the the snow side of things and your mechanicing career Looking through, it seemed like your first kind of big break at a at a high level beyond your own racing was you got to work with uh, Sylvain Laflemme, who, for those not in the know about him, he's kind of like a like a Mike Brown esque uh, snowmobile racer. He's been around for a really long time. He's raced a bunch of different disciplines. He's a walking encyclopedia of snowmobile mechanics and performance, but how did that relationship start? Did you just meet him at a grass drag or what was the story on that one? So that's, that's funny. You bring him up. I actually talked to him, um, about an hour and a half ago on my did ride. Really? Home. Yeah. He called me. Well, actually he sent me a Facebook message to give him a call and I feel bad. It took me like three days to get back to him cause I've been <laughs> so busy, but I finally did. Um, no, I grew up in Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, right mm-hmm. on the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. And he's in Pittsburgh all the time hunting or riding. And uh, my brothers used to buy sleds from him all the time. And this was like ZX chassis 440s. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, and I'm not exactly sure how they met him. Probably just through through Pittsburgh only being a, you know, 600 people populated town. But he... Uh, I met him through them. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I'd imagine getting to work with him, like I said, walking encyclopedia, you kind of just got to be a sponge when you're working and talking with him, right? Just, just take in all you can. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And a, a lot of it was cause I was young. I was real young. Um, I want to say the first race that I went to with him, I don't even know if I could drive myself. <laughs> So uh, I wasn't, I for sure wasn't um, given any of the super important tasks of the team. Um, But I, 
I was super willing to work and super willing to learn and I had a blast. Yeah, and and working with a guy like that who runs such a such a tight ship and such a clean program, especially for you at an early age, it probably made it very clear early on what kind of, you know, what kind of effort it takes to run a top-notch program and how meticulous you have to be with testing and maintenance and things like that. Probably set you up pretty good for the future. Oh yeah. Yeah, there was for sure if you paid attention to the details a lot you could learn um and i was lucky enough to to go to his shop um a few times and kind of see the the inner workings of his his grass drags setups um and then we went testing a little bit just he and i and again he was really doing all the work um i was just helping out but it was so much fun to be involved with and then when my race career progressed a little bit, he helped me out with a few clutching notes. He'd give me like a baseline and then he'd let me uh, ping some ideas off of him. Like, Hey, do you think, you know, I should increase this spring rate or decrease or try this? Or um, he was a huge help. I remember 20, uh, 2016, maybe it was, it was uh, when Rock Maple had come back after their their non-compete with ECS, but they came back with the, the cross-country circuit. And the first race of the year, it didn't you know coincide with any snowcross races, but it was in, I can't remember where in Maine it was, but somewhere in northern Maine. And I showed up, I had never raced a cross-country race before. I showed up on my, on my RS, completely set up for snowcross, but it was just going to be fun just to ride. And then... Uh, we did a sight lap and then kind of like a warm up lap and Sylvain pulls up next to me. He's old enough to be my, my grandfather at that time. And he's just gone. I didn't even see him like just, just still fast as hell on a sled. It was just ridiculous. Oh yeah. He flies. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. And I know, you know, he's got his family involved. He still runs the performance side, selling parts and stuff. So it's, it's cool to see him still around because uh, when he finally decides to get out of the sport, it's going to be, it, he's going to be missed for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's taught me a bunch and, and helped me out at the race department a ton with whether it be parts or, you know, mentioning my name or if somebody, somebody asks, Hey, do you know this kid at all? Like Warner's just thinking about hiring him. Oh yeah, absolutely. He used to help me out with grass drags. Well, that's a perfect segue because in 2018, I saw it on socials that you were moving out to, to Minnesota and you were going to start working with Warner, which I thought was super cool. But forgive me, Kyle, I was like, how in the world does he meet the right person or how does that start? Because for us East Coast guys, it's always a struggle because we're just never around, you know? So how did that opportunity come about for you? Yeah, to the the east coast thing like we are always kind of on the outside of the bubble of the the snowcross mm -hmm. hotbed for sure but i so that was actually a, technically my third shot at it mm, okay um originally when i had broken my ankle i had reached out and got in contact with and met uh gary boss mm -hmm. and he 
just kind of took my info away. If anything ever comes up, I'll give you a call. Well, when I had just gotten back from South Carolina, um, doing the, the GNCC and privateer connection stuff, Gary called me and it was literally like two days after I started. Um, I was working at my brother's shop, um, again, TMS diesel. And he, he's the one who introduced me to Sylvain. So all of this is just an entwined mm-hmm. thing, but I, it was like date number two of work and <laughs> Gary calls me and he's like, Hey, we got a spot opened up. Um, blah, blah, blah. Here's all the details. You'd be Marika Renheim's mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited, but also so gutted at the timing <laughs> Yep. Because uh, my brothers helped me so much. Both of them have, but especially Zach. And I I mentioned it to him, just kind of brought it up to see how he would feel about it. And he's like, like, no way. I just helped you get like back up here from South Carolina. Um, you know, he, he kind of stuck his neck out and helped me financially get back up here. Um, just, you know because it's expensive moving everything up up and down the east coast mm-hmm. and uh so i owed him and i just told gary thank you for the offer but like i have to pass and uh so that that came and went and i was a little bummed out and years later um kind of stuck in a rut with work um, i was now doing hvac great career but if you dream of power sports and power mm-hmm. sports racing every day like I do, it is not your ideal profession. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm going to call Gary. And I called him and he was like, how did you, did you know we needed a mechanic? And I said, I didn't. I'm like, I literally just called you on my lunch break. He's like, um, hold that thought. I'll call you back in a few days. So called back. And I was supposed to go with boss for that season. And I was going to be Aki Palaya's mechanic. Okay. Well, I guess, um, uh, because his guy, Aussie, um, also from Finland and works for links. I want to say over there, Mm -hmm. wasn't going to come back. Long story short, something changed and Aussie was coming back. So now I was out, but they were going to put my name in kind of a pool with BRP in case any teams needed a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I was super bummed out. Like, you know, uh, that was probably it. Um, nice try, but you know, it's, it is what it is. And I got this phone call, a weird number called me and it was Andrew McLean, who is the team manager for Warner's. And, uh, yeah, kind of the rest was history. He called me and did like a little phone interview and Cody Sandman called and just, you know, we we talked a bunch and saw that it was going to be a pretty good fit. And I bought a van off Craigslist for a thousand bucks. I jammed about $13,000 worth of tools into it, like my whole snap on box, everything, and uh, took off to Minnesota. You sound like every mechanic I've ever heard. Just buy a van, put the tools in, and we're going racing. 
Oh, the van was terrifying. But uh, it somehow, it miraculously made it out there. I think most of the tools were in case I needed to work on the van, mm-hmm. but I brought them anyway. Oh, man. So you, that first year then, you got uh, paired up with, with Francis. It was his yep. first year in Pro Light and his first year with Warner. He had been with uh, with Shearing the previous seasons in the sport class. But did you guys hit it off immediately once you started working with him? We, so there's um, definitely kind of a language barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, his English is so much better than it than it was when I first met him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, we got along great. And it it just kind of clicked. I mean, he was new to the team and that class. I was super new, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I made a bunch of mistakes, but I'm the type of person that if I if it's my fault, I'll be the first to admit it and own up to it and learn from it. And, um, yeah, we, we just put our heads down and, and did the work and ended up second for the year. Yeah. That was a, that was a hell of a season for you guys. And I mean, you started off the year on fire. You had four straight podiums with between Duluth and Jackson hole and, carrying a lot of momentum for that season. And then, yeah, like you said, second overall in points and then moving into what would be the shortened 2020 season, you guys actually snuck out of there with a, with a pro light title, only a handful of points above a uh, hundred Pat node. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a crazy year. Um, we had both just worked on kind of refining what we were able to do the year before. Um, any, any little mistakes or just really tidying up our whole program. And, um, it came down to, I mean, that's not the way anybody wants to win one is have, you know, the season cut short. Mm-hmm. I, but I think that would have been a crazy race at Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank, we talked about it. He's like, he said he felt on top of the world and like, he was so confident going into that. It would have been really awesome to watch, but I mean, we'll take it. We, we definitely worked our tails off, so it wasn't for nothing. So 2021 rolls or the 2021 season rolls around Warner kind of downsizes back, uh, the previous season they had had Tim and Adam in, uh, pro, Pro open, pro no light, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, Francis was was in pro light with you guys. So then, yeah, 21, they downsize to two riders. Francis moves up to pro. Dan Benham comes over to race pro as well. And you kind of take a step back. You head home, focus a little bit more on kind of the dealership side. You're kind of growing LBR Moto on the service side at this point in time. At that point, was the goal to, to get back to that level, to be that level of, of a mechanic again, or did you just kind of treat it as that was an awesome experience, but you know, whatever happens, happens. So it was actually, uh, my doing that, Mm. um, when I stepped away, okay. Um, I, I just told them like, Hey, the shop is, is really going crazy and it's, so hard to have your own business and 
that isn't seasonal, but make it seasonal, you know, mm-hmm. like to shut the doors in the fall and open them again in the spring is just a monumental task and to stay afloat. And I was having a lot of fun with the shop and just, I don't know, kind of wanted to see if, if this was the path for me and how big I could get it. And it just blew up. So, um, I told them like, Hey, I, I think, I think I'm going to stay home this year. Um, because this is really going well. And I stepped back and I wasn't going to race. I wasn't going to go snowcross racing at all. And then Nate from Green Mountain gave me a call and I was supposed to be Nick Edwards mechanic who was racing pro for East coast. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't really snow that winter. So East coast races just kept getting pushed back, pushed back, canceled. Uh, There was nowhere to practice. Mm -hmm. Like we built sleds and then they just sat in trailers or sat in shops. And um, Nate called me and said, hey, I've been talking to to Renheim because he was without a ride. Mm -hmm. And he's going to, I think, come over for the first race. Would you be interested in helping him out? And Adam and I immediately became friends. For anyone who's Mm -hmm. ever met him, he's so much fun and he's so funny to hang out with. And uh, I'm like, absolutely. We'll we'll fly out. Um, it was supposed to be like a week before the first race and test and practice. And it was like just an ever changing thing. I flew out, I think just a couple days before and really just practiced at the track with him. Like we didn't mm-hmm. have a bunch, um, did not go very good. We were on a used sled. I don't know who it came from but um and not to naysay anybody but just they get you know they get thrashed Mm -hmm. and we ended up breaking a bolt just a tiny bolt in the rear skid and uh it put us out for i don't think we made either final that weekend Mm. and then so that kind of lit the fire in all of us like we know we're better than that. So then the agreement was, all right, I'll work the next race too. So I flew home, um, busted ass at my shop, flew back, raced. I can't think where was the first one Dubuque that year? Was it? I can't remember. I don't think anybody had any snow anyway. So it was, it was, it was tough to find it. Or was it, was that the first year when ERX got the opener? Oh, I can't. Oh, it was. Yep. It was. So the first race, it was ERX. And that's when we broke that, that, uh, suspension bolt. And then the second race was Dubuque, I believe. And, um, of all the, the, just the wait what happened, Francis blew a belt and had a huge crash. And, uh, the flagger hadn't gotten the flag out yet. And Adam hit the jump. And he was like the fourth sled to land on Frank's sled. Oh. But so Adam lands on it. And so my current rider 
wrecked his sled and my old rider's sled. It was just kind of uh, coincidental. <laughs> and actually, that chassis is still hanging in the Warner shop. Oh, really? Yeah, it is mangled. But um, everybody was okay, thankfully. Just more work for the mechanics. And uh, so that race weekend didn't go like we wanted it to. So, okay, we'll do another one. Um, Fargo. Or was Fargo the last one? I don't know. I I went to... We just never really had a ton of... Oh, it was Deadwood. Mm. Deadwood, we, we qualified great and then just couldn't really put together a final. Um. I might have these two mixed up, Fargo and Deadwood. I know we did pretty good in Deadwood, and then Fargo, like, my bag never showed up, and Fargo's oh, really? always freezing. <laughs> so uh, there's a picture of me and Adam in the pits, and I'm in jeans. I have, like, two pairs of jeans on. I had, like, four sweatshirts that I borrowed from people. I was freezing all weekend. Uh, but, I mean, from the sounds of it, it probably sucked at the time, but it's one of those things where you look back on it like, what what great times. Oh, so much fun. And especially, like, I'm glad I got to do that with Adam because racing or not, he and I are good friends. We we uh, talk to each other all the time and bust each other's balls via text or whatever. <laughs> and uh, it was it just brought us a lot closer. It was a lot of fun. That's super cool. Yeah, I, when he was coming over, I remember seeing that press release and – and the Tatros run a top-notch program now, you know, when they got started, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's come a long way since they started it. And now they bring over and a lot of talent from Scandinavia and they go over there a bunch of times throughout the year to scout talent. Those guys put in a lot of effort, but I remember at the time I was genuinely curious how that was going to go for Adam just because coming from, you know, a decade of factory support, from brp both with skidoo and then he'd spent some time with links prior to that too so i just wondered going from that level of support and that level of testing and resources to going to green mountain and trying to kind of mirror some of the success he had had with warner and boss were you nervous at all going into that situation or were you just kind of like he's a top level talent he'll figure it out he'll put it together um Yes and no. Hmm. I was extremely nervous in that I know the resources that are inside of those semis and the knowledge that, you know, the the team members have like they you don't you don't have that big of a budget and that many wins and championships and everything for no reason. Mm-hmm. And now we are fighting against those guys. So I'm like, I know we got our work cut out for us, but we kind of went into it with at least saying we had no expectations. You know, mm-hmm. I know we both wanted to uh, to kind of upset some, just just ruffle some feathers and mm-hmm. and just do you know have a good showing as a privateer because everybody loves an underdog, but it's just such an uphill battle. Yeah, and 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 two Green Mountains credit i mean those guys continuously like i said bring over guys from scandinavia but it's not the first time and it will certainly not be the last time that they find a a top level guy that finds themselves without a ride and they say 
don't worry about it. We'll we'll get you back. We'll we'll bring you here and we'll put you back on the track. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they it was cool. I kind of thought the same like, oh, this is different cuz it was I mean, that was that's a big name for mm-hmm. for a smaller team. And then that almost seemed to be the first, you know, cuz then like Aki and Topi and um Oh, I'm gonna mispronounce it. Uh, eighty-one. Salmonson. Gustav. Yes. Salmonson. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who's yep. a really cool dude, also, by the way, but super fast, and yeah, just a bunch of the talent they brought over. So, kind of finishing up that year. I mean, the next year you're you're back with Warner. Was that a phone call you made, or was that a phone call they made to you asking you to come back? That was a vacation trip okay um we went to eagle river um my parents and my girlfriend and had a blast um just going out there and spectating and knowing everybody and you know cruising through the pits and having no pressure and not not worrying about a thing Mm -hmm. but i had kind of told Andrew, you know, like, Hey, the shop, I'm having a blast, but it's, uh, a lot of stress and a lot of work and still not racing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You just got to scratch that itch. And so we had a team meeting with, uh, Andrew, Ron Warner and myself, and it was just a, a handshake agreement um, at first, but they're the type of guys that if they give you the word, you know, it means something. And so I was back in for next year and there were a bunch of silly season rumors and um, they wouldn't, Andrew wouldn't tell me who my rider was going to be, but he had a good idea. And then throughout the summer, he'd still kind of egg me on. He's like, uh, you're, I can't tell you who it is, but you're going to be amped. Like that was that all he would say. So, yeah. That, yeah, uh, that worked out pretty well for you. Didn't it? You get, uh, linked to this hot shot named Jordan LaBelle. Who's, I mean, he's okay on a sled, right? He's, he's pretty fast. He's, he's all right. You know? Yeah. He's insane. Yeah, I I put in here he's I it, it may not be a a fair comparison but it's kind of like a Jet Lawrence-esque type career path he's been on so far. He's just it, so young but he's still so mature and so fast on the slide like you just don't believe what you're watching. It does have that feel to it. Or a similar, you know, there's definitely some parallels. Mm-hmm. Um he yeah, the like you said, the, the maturity, um, there's been, and is, he's a very unique rider to work with. Mm -hmm. He'll, so when we blew the belt in Michigan and uh, got tangled up with Uman, Mm -hmm. which again, sorry, Tyler uh, for (laughs) collecting you in that. Um, he like, I was way more mad than he was. Mm. Um, I was super mad. 
and he's the one that calmed me down, which is usually vice versa. But even if he can come off the track just on a warpath, and he'll go up and change, and then he'll hop back down and crack a joke, or he'll <laughs> see the sled like in that instance, and he was just like, whoa, like, you got a lot of work to do, and, you know, just started egging me on. Um, and then on the track, if he'll, he's, every once in a while in my first year with him, you'd see not a, you can't say rookie mistake, but not a full-blown veteran, like maybe he'd push a pass a little bit early, whereas if he kept pressuring him, the rider in front of him, it would have came to him, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you tell him that, or tell him anything, you know, hey, I think if you went outside in this line, you could carry this speed here or something like that. He'll listen to all of it. Um, yeah, he's just very mature in that way. He'll take feedback. He'll take criticism. He'll take everything and learn from it. Yeah, it's just anytime I watch him ride, he's just he's so fast. But I don't know about you, Kyle. It just it makes me feel so old. Because I I could remember like when I first started racing, this was 2012 or so um, at uh, Plattsburgh when we would overlap with the SCM guys, yep. and this is when the Labels had a massive team. I mean his his dad was still racing, um, he was obviously racing. Kevin Kelly was there, Sam Lavoie, like all these guys. They had a huge team, but Jordan was like eight and he couldn't even touch the running boards, but he still was like whipping the sled in the air. And now I watch oh, yeah. him. I'm like, the dude is like one of the fastest guys we've seen, but God just makes me feel so old. Right. Well, yeah, geez, I was retired already by then. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's wild. He's, I mean, so yeah, you guys had back to back pro light titles in, in 22 and 23 and, bumping it up to pro next year what what do we think are we are we going to come out swinging or are we going to show some some flashes um i i mean we'll i think we're going to go into it you know not expecting to set the world on fire or break records or do anything crazy like that but we're for sure um going to put our best foot forward we in um, the last race this past season, he had wrapped a championship up on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And Sunday, we stepped up to pro, and he ended up fourth overall. Mm -hmm. So he's definitely got the speed. Um, it's just in that class, everyone's got the speed. So you can't – Jordan's one of the only – not only people, but he's very good at it. He can get a bad start and push through the pack. And um, it's obviously going to be a lot harder to do in pro, but I, th I think he's got a few, few more learning curves, but yeah, he'll, he'll be a, a threat for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing how, how Jordan does in the pro class. Cause the talent is there for sure. And his time is going to come regardless. It's just kind of, how quickly is he going to get there, you know? Right. And now his mechanics just got to make sure he can keep the skis on the damn thing. Ah, well, I'll, I'll let that guy know. I, I heard he's kind of a pain, but I'll let him know to, to make sure he keeps the sled in one piece. 
All right, perfect. Yeah, recommend like a good shop he can bring it to or something. Oh, okay, gotcha. We'll, <laughs> we'll do, we'll do. So, right so kind of since you're a mechanic, there's a handful of questions that I'm legally required to ask you. So we're oh, going to get into some of those because they're going to just prototypical mechanic questions. You know, I have to I have to ask them. But on the snow side at this point in time, what's your what's your go to tool? What gets used the most for you right now? Well, it's obviously a Makita. Of course. Um, three eighths impact gun for sure. Yeah. Um, it's always, always on the bench. Um, like it, it might as well not even have a spot in the toolbox. It's out so much. And, uh, yeah, it's just, we use it for everything. Uh, everything except for torquing things, right, Kyle? You always use a torque wrench. You never. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Stripped <laughs> is tight. Broke is too tight. Oh man. Perfect. Perfect. Just the answer I wanted. Yep. <laughs> So of all the riders you've worked with both in, you know, from Travis Moore on quads to the guys you've worked with in, in GNCC and things like that, all the way into the snow guys, who's the easiest on equipment and who is the hardest on equipment? Oh boy. That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, honestly, everybody's got their own. I mean, the riding styles are, are way different mm -hmm. if you watch so compare and contrast um francis to jordan mm -hmm. jordan is more of a uh kevin windham ish um very rhythmic mm -hmm. and riding with the track where as francis is just so strong if he gets out of rhythm it won't slow him down at all he'll just pound through the rest of that section He'll break the bars off the slide before he'll slow down. But like Jordan's way harder on brakes than Francis. Mm. But Francis would like, uh, it'd be like a, a arms and that kind of stuff. Just, I think from that, you know, if I'm out of rhythm, I'm going to make it work anyway. Mm -hmm. And then like Travis was also very smooth but a quads could be kind of the worst of motocross and snowcross. Yeah. It's heavy like a snowmobile, but you're putting it through the environment that a dirt bike is made for. Mm -hmm. So like they just got beaten up so much. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine that. Uh, it's, I mean, it's granted it's, it's new England ATV racing, but it's, it's, it's the great outdoors. It's the summer of outdoors. It's, just as gnarly exactly and then now like in the summer my life um is pipes um because a, a lot all of us or most of us race two strokes mm -hmm. on my team so it's like oh another another dented pipe oh another dented pipe oh another dented pipe so just repairing the best i can so kind of moving on from that then what's your still on the snow side what's the the daily task as a mechanic that you i wouldn't say enjoy the most maybe dislike the least and then the one that you actually hate the most and don't give me like changing a belt don't nothing easy like that give me give me something good oh uh, yeah the belt doesn't even change the task we have that <laughs> off so much um 
I mean, let me think. This, I'll start with dislike. And it's not that I even dislike it that much. It's just so messy. Mm -hmm. Um, Jordan likes his skis cut. Oh, yep. And it just makes such a mess. Um, But usually I'll, I'll chalk them up in the vice loosely over the trash can now. So it, it's less of a mess, but still I'm covered in teal CNA pro plastic (laughs) and it's just everywhere. It looks so cool though, right? It looks so damn cool. And I never knew exactly like I know, I know the concept behind cutting the skis, but if it really helped, you know, that much Mm -hmm. until in Aurora this past fall, um, Wayne Davis was doing our photo shoot and Jordan has the sled laid over and just has the skis like kind of whipped the other way, like, you know, oppo turned Mm -hmm. and it should be just completely digging in the way the ski is, but because it's cut, it's not even touching the ground. And I, just that one picture, I'm like, oh, okay, so that's why I cut them. Like, okay, there's the justification for it right on. <laughs> so then what's the one that you don't mind the most? Um, well, a lot of people hate it, but um, wrapping the sleds. Because once you get the first burn on your thumb, like you're good to go for the rest of them. I could, I could totally see that. Cause I, I, I always liked wrapping my sleds and, and doing that. Like it, once you've done it a couple times and you know, the, the feeling, you know what to do. The thing that I've always found fun is when like my friends at will still ask me to do their, their cell phone screen protector. And I'm like, dude, I've been wrapping sleds for years. This is a cakewalk. Don't worry about That's it. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> oh man. So this next question is, is pretty loaded. So I want you to bear with me here. It takes some, some good setup, but you did touch on it a little bit earlier. when We were talking about first working with Francis, but Warner has kind of always prided themselves in bringing over these international talents and kind of giving them a shot here in, in the U S and, and this goes back a long time. I mean, Christian Selmark, Emil Omen, Tim came down, uh, with Warner Adams first race was with Warner when he came over here the first time. So, and then of course, uh, some guy named, uh, Elias Ishul, not sure whatever happened to him, but he was pretty fast oh, at, the, at the time. I think I've heard of that guy before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to make sure it wasn't just me. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's, <laughs> I think he's pretty good. I don't, I don't remember. I'd have to look at the results, I guess. Okay. Maybe, maybe somebody can, uh, can let us know, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So with all these guys, there's always, I mean, they come over, sometimes there's a language barrier, their English isn't, isn't great, but also they're used to their sleds riding a certain way. They come over with experience on a certain type track in their home country, particularly with some of the Scandinavian guys. They want the sled to feel a certain way because that's how their tracks are, but they come over here, the tracks are different, the setup is different, the resources are different. As a mechanic, how do you have to kind of attack that situation of, hey, I'm going to work with you. We're going to do our best to test. You might not understand what I'm saying. I might not understand what you're saying, but we'll get there and you just need to ride the sled and we need to figure it out. 
that's yeah that's that's it that's if you can make that work like that's the whole thing um the setup from like the french to the swedes is so different Mm. um like adam is Olean's all the way mm-hmm. and he's his setup is uh let's say like an outdoors like an outdoor motocross it's it's much more plush it's yep. still really stiff but it's way way more forgiving um and that's that's his setup um the same thing like with studs in Europe they don't run any studs okay so a lot you'll see a lot of the European guys run like a single or less than than like a, say someone from Quebec be, or the US because they grew up you know racing on studs mm-hmm. since like some of the junior classes and then like um, Jordan's setup is I think a lot stiffer than Adams Um and it's more like a supercross style okay. where like it's terrible to ride if like we were going to trail ride it or you and I were going to ride it because we're not fast enough <laughs> and mean enough to it to get yep. it to work. But um, if we wanted to jump it off of a house, like into the bed of a truck, it'd be perfect for that. <laughs> it's just so stiff. And um, I guess brakes weren't really different. In my experience, I, I would say traction products and suspension were the biggest. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, it, it sounds kind of like your point earlier when you when you got with, with Green Mountain kind of being limited with some of that tribal knowledge that the bigger teams have. That's a big part of it, of you get a guy coming over who's never ridden here before, but you have all these mechanics and technicians from the factory that are like, hey, this is going to be his expectation of when he comes over here. And this might be the easiest way to get him comfortable and up to speed quickly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and rider mechanic communication is second to none in my opinion. Cause that those two guys are a team within the team. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I told, uh, Francis, Adam and Jordan, this, like day one, you know, introduce myself. Well, not really with Adam because I already knew him, mm-hmm. but introduce myself and like I, I make mistakes. I'm human just like anybody else, but I will be the first to admit if I did something wrong. And also, I will go above and beyond to give you the best slot I can. And I will never send you out there with something that I wouldn't personally race myself. Which isn't saying much because I'm not that fast, but just kind of the point I'm trying to get across is like, I don't expect you to trust me because I have to earn it, but I'm going to do everything that I can to earn it. And I feel like that's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as a rider, I mean, that's, that's all you can really ask for, right? Right. Because if, if they're worrying about, you know, oh, I, I don't know about this guy, like, I saw him messing with the brakes and doing something, something sketchy or half-assed. And should I wor- be worried about these or ride the brakes kind of timid 
you know, kind of coasted in the corners or whatever. Like, no way. Fully, fully trust it and, and just send it. So biggest fire drill that you're ever a part of, like bent tunnel, top end. What was the biggest fire drill? Oh, boy. Um, well, I think we've we've had to scramble and replace more A-arms than I can count. Um, let me see. There was I wasn't really involved in this past one, but in the triple crown format, Francis ripped. They had just changed a track, and it got another rider got their ski into it and ripped it. Oh, and Nate and everybody else. Basically, my only role was I heard it on the radio and got my sled ready and everything ready as fast as I could and got out of their way and help them get it in before I had to leave for my heat. Um, they changed a track in like 32 minutes or something like that. <laughs> and it's even something crazy. And even that it like for, for maybe some of like the moto guys, they're like, Oh my God, that's fair. That is so damn fast to change a track. That's like a, that's like an evening project. If you're just a regular guy. When I got back after that race, it was like it. I I don't know. It almost looked like a crime had been committed. <laughs> there was just tools everywhere. There was chain case oil all over the floor. Just snow and carnage and rags. And it's like, what the hell happened here? Um, I think Francis actually finished second or third. I believe he made the podium that night. So they they definitely I wish I could take more credit for that, but they definitely earned it. Oh man, that's a that's a wild one for sure. Um, oh, actually, here's I thought of one that was it was basically just uh, myself and Cody Fox, our truck driver, Jordan. It was the night that he won um, the tenth in a row that he set that record. Mm-hmm. In one of the heats, uh, if you remember that ERX, the jumps were insanely big. Oh, yeah, massive. And it was over the, if you're coming away from the highway in front of the grandstands right there, that triple. Yeah, massive triple right after the the finish there. Yep. He, from where I'm standing, I couldn't really see it. He overshot or... I believe he overshot it or landed in a hole or something like that. And it was just a little tip over. No big deal. And then um, comes back. We get back to the trailer and we had no time. Like, I don't know who makes the night schedule. It's it's great for fans and TV and everything, but it is hell on the mechanics if anything goes wrong. And so we... We pull the sled in, and it's just the two of us in there, myself and uh, Cody Fox, the transport driver. And where I was tending to something that was bent, I don't remember what it was, something kind of small. And Jordan was upstairs just changing in the dry clothes, and Fox just happened to look at the track, and he goes, is this tunnel bent? (laughs) And I'm like, stop, just stop. Like, I thought he was messing with me. And I looked at the 
I picked the flap up and looked and the track was favoring one side by like mm. a, a lot, mm-hmm. an inch plus. And I'm like, we, we need the skid out of this thing right now. So we dumped the skid out, checked the skid. The skid is okay. The tunnel seemed a little bit tweaked, but like suspension mounts were where they should be. And we had no time left and we kind of deliberated on it for a second, threw the skid back in, uh, checked track tension, a little bit of massaging with a mallet. And uh, we're like, I, I mean, it seems structurally sound or as much as it can be. This, you know, goes back to the, I, I won't send you on the track with a piece of junk. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, took it out and handed it over to Jordan. And I'm just like, hey, if you if you feel anything weird at all, like, just pull off or slow down, maybe. And he's kind of looked at me like, that was an odd thing to say. And I'm just like, you know, no reason. Like, you know, it's all good. And I want to say that was in the first heat. And then, so he did second heat and Fox and I all night, Hey, how'd the sled hit feel? Hey, how'd the sled feel? And even through the LCQ, how does, how was the sled? And he's like, fine. Like, why do you guys keep asking me that? Oh no, no reason at all. And then later that night it was like, Oh yeah, man. Like look at the tunnel on this thing. And he's like, I thought it felt a little strange, <laughs> but, and that one, Unfortunately, it was really low miles, but um, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that ended up getting retired pretty early, just because that the it was just doing starting to do some weird stuff, and he must have hit just right and sent all that energy up into the tunnel in a weird way and tweaked something. Yeah, it's it's so different thinking about some of those quick fixes or those major issues that mechanics have in snow because. It's not like in moto where everything is is modular, you know, like snow, things are modular, but it's a lot of it. You're like, no, I got to bend that back. I can swap it, but um, it's going to take me the whole day. Like, I got to oh, just yeah. do what I can with what I got, you know. And like a, you can get a motor out of a dirt bike frame in no time mm-hmm. to get a motor out of like one of the RS E-Tech motors out of the chassis is not a super fast process yeah you got like 90 feet worth of wiring harness you gotta deal with (laughs) exactly exactly and then you know you still gotta get it out and then do whatever work you took it out for Mm -hmm. and then put it back in yeah it's 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 wild it's it's not some of the stuff you guys go through yeah it's it's insane and at times it's can be the worst job you've ever had just you'll have some days that are i mean you hardly sleep and it's just so taxing or you know just so frustrating and then it can be the exact opposite all in the same night that's a perfect example i was talking about i mean i ended up taking my jacket off after that um the tunnel incident with with jordan because we were working so fast and just worked up such a sweat that i just threw on my sweatshirt and went out to the next heat like that and i don't think i took it off for the rest of the night because like or put my jacket on rather 
just because you never stopped. Mm-hmm. But then when he got the 10th in a row, you know, you're on cloud nine. So looking at any, I mean, really any sport could be motorsports, could be auto racing. Are there any other mechanics in those sports that you kind of, you kind of look up to, or you're kind of, kind of shooting for? I mean, yes and no. It's hard to, hard to point out because they're all, you know, the guys behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like you'll hear so little about them usually. Mm-hmm. But like when I started to get into motocross and and was heavy into snowcross was when uh, like the Great Outdoors series was on mm-hmm. and uh, Dungey was racing for Suzuki and his mechanic Goose. Yep. Um, just seemed like such a badass. And he, I was actually at Southwick the year um, of the hurricane and when Dungey's bike wouldn't start. And it was my first national that I'd ever been to. And they couldn't, they just barely got the bike running in time for Dungey to get on the track before he was lapsed. Because mm-hmm. if, if he was lapsed before he entered, he couldn't start. It would yep. have been a DNS. And he just barely made it. And I think fought back to within the top 10. Mm from almost being a full lap down and like I watched that happen. And then just now knowing like the amount of effort and stress and panic those guys were under trying to get that bike ready, um, really makes me appreciate it so much more. But I mean, any great racer has to have a great team behind them. And so all of them, literally everybody that I'm competing against that I have competed against my, my coworkers. I mean, everybody's made it there for a reason and it's awesome to work with all of them. So Kyle, are you saying that I should start a podcast and talk to a snowcross mechanic? You think that'd be a good idea? Yeah, I think so. All right, that, all right. that, that would be a good idea. All right. I'll, I'll take it into consideration. I'll, I'll add it to the list. All right. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, so speaking of speaking of kind of your your colleagues in the in the snowcross world, what'd be your best advice for somebody who listening right now that wants to get into being a and in, in any discipline of snowmobile racing, but wants to be a mechanic? Always jeez, I don't know. Be ex- be ready to not get that much sleep. Um <laughs> no, just just do work that you're proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I mean that and like never, if there's a shortcut, never take it. Um, because it will come back to bite you and like the, it's going to be crazy long hours because if you don't do it and your team doesn't do it, another team will, Mm -hmm. and it'll show with the next race. Like, you know, they'll, they'll catch you in points or they'll beat you or, or you'll something will break on your sled or just there are no shortcuts at this level. So put in the work and it'll pay off. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and 
kind of adding to that a little bit, which it sounds like it was a, a big part of your success as well. We covered it a little bit on our uh, first episode with with Lincoln Lemieux, where he touched on how he didn't make a ton of relationships in the snowcross industry. And then you have on the flip side where Kyle knows everybody and has a good reputation with everybody. So the industry is extremely small once you actually get into it. So make sure you meet people, make sure you're doing good work, like Kyle said, and just build a great reputation. So when that opportunity is there, they know who to call. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like Lincoln had to focus so much on himself and racing and winning. Um, whereas I, when I was racing, did not because mm-hmm. I really wasn't that good. So I figured I'd just talk to people, you know, mm-hmm. you got to be good at something. And mine was uh, <laughs> walking around and cracking jokes and running my mouth. Apparently somebody's got to do it, right? Exactly. I'll let Lincoln have the wins and I'll just meet people. <laughs> oh man. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'll kind of wrap it up here, Kyle. I've already kept you for way longer than I told you I would, but, uh, how many, I mean, what's the summer look like, like for you? How many, how many races you got left? What's the prep looking like? Oh boy. Um, so we actually are in the middle of three separate race series. Oh man. Um, there's, I'm racing myself, uh, just because I, I love it. And actually this year I've in the last calendar year, I've been in the gym a ton, Mm. um, and I've just been feeling good and it's been showing on with, uh, with racing. I finally won a trophy. It's been the first one I've in like a decade and I was, I was way more excited than I should have been, but, uh, I'll take it. And yeah, we got, uh, Colton, my, uh, youngest rider is on an 85. He is leading his class in the GNCC championship. Mm-hmm. Um, we got uh, another guy just outside of the top three in a class in uh, J day. Um, we're racing, but, which is like GNCC, but mm-hmm. in the Northeast. Um, and then there's another series in the Northeast P 27 off road that we're all pretty new to, but have been having a lot of luck and fun with. So yeah, we're, we got a solid season up right up until I leave for snowcross. Okay. Actually, I'll have to miss the last couple dirt bike races because it'll overlap with when I have to be out there for preseason. Okay. Yeah, that was my next question. When do you when does it start for you on, on snow? When do you move out here full time? Usually November 1st. Okay. Okay. And uh uh this past year was awesome because the sleds got built super early. Oh and, yeah. Um, we got out there and get right to work. We've had other years where we beat the sleds by quite a bit and there's still a plenty to do, uh, building, you know, getting skis ready to go, um, side panels, hoods, like hand guards, just a bunch of little stuff like that. You know, um, as you said before, making stuff modular. Mm-hmm. Um, but without the sleds there, you know, what are you doing it for? So it's, it definitely helps when the sleds show up either with us before us or soon after us. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to to seeing you guys hit the snow this year. I think uh, with Jordan there and and then Francis, of course, and you know a lot lot of talent with uh, with with Warner for this coming season. So looking forward to to seeing what you guys put together for the season. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm just like I said, we'll we'll do our best and hopefully it goes well. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks, Kyle. I, I really appreciate you coming on. It, it means a lot to me to have some of my East Coast friends on here who all have really cool stories. So um, yeah, like I said earlier, everybody go follow LBR Moto on socials and you can keep up with Kyle and, and all his shenanigans both throughout the summer and the winter. So uh, yeah, Kyle, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me, man. It means a lot. Kyle Sackett on the Carbide Podcast. As I said in the intro, this interview with Kyle went way longer and covered way more in-depth topics than I could have ever asked for, which is the kind of information I'm always curious about and why I started this podcast to begin with. Thanks again to Kyle for his candid conversation and to everybody who's listened this far. I have some pretty cool content in the works over the next few weeks, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Thanks again, everybody. Take care.